0: Today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really it's we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think, you're selling a solution. You are selling change. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C level executives to help them future proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty movement and this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor you should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that i'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision but the right decision instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics showing you how to ask better questions tell better stories and ultimately change people's minds and now your host brian nichols show Aaron Hamlin from the Center for Election Science here on the Brian Nichols show. You. Absolutely Aaron. Well listen I'm I'm glad to have you on. I was working behind the scenes there talking to uh, your your director of operations and programs, Caitlin, and uh, she expressed interest in having you come onto the show because you guys are doing a lot of great work over at the Center for Election Science. Now to some people hear the Brian Nichols show, they hear that and they say, who the heck is the Center for Election Science? So how about this? Let's start off the show. Um, we'll kind of do a, an intro number one into who the Center for Election Science is, but then maybe we can go ahead and discuss who you are and, and your role as the uh, the CEO, or I'm sorry, rather the Executive Director over at the Center for Election Science. So with that, Aaron, the floor is yours.
1: Sure. So and first, uh, what the Center for Election Science is. So we're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. We study and advance better voting methods. Uh, you might think, well, like that seems like a an interesting uh, approach, but uh, the voting methods are a pretty huge deal. Uh, so the people that we elect to government, uh, they have all kinds of really uh, uh, big uh, uh, jobs within their role. Uh, so they have to spend countless amounts of tax dollars. They control the policies that govern our everyday lives. And... We use a voting method to decide who sits in those seats. It turns out that the way that we currently do that, uh, which is using a a method that has us choose just one candidate, turns out that's a really bad way to get people elected. And so we, after looking at all the different voting methods, uh, we came upon approval voting as the method that makes the most sense. Uh, And approval voting is a voting method that elects people to government. Uh, It's a single winner method. And the way that it works is you just pick as many candidates as you want, not just one like you're used to. You don't have to do any ranking. So just pick as many candidates as you want. Candidate with the most votes wins. Addresses vote splitting. Uh, so if similar candidates run, you can support multiple of those candidates. You can always support your honest favorite no matter what, which is nice. So if there's a candidate that maybe is a third party or independent, don't think they're going to win. You can still show your support for them. But if you want to have a say on the outcome too, you can go ahead and. Support one of the front runners at the same time, plus approval voting, being able to choose as many candidates as you want, also tends to elect a more consensus-style winner rather than a more polarizing figure that we've unfortunately become equated to.
0: So... I guess the question starts, so I've, I've been a big proponent of ranked choice voting here on the Brian Nichols Show. I think that, you know, I, I actually have one of my good buddies up in Maine who was one of the leading voices for ranked choice voting. And um, I I've kind of started to, to lean more towards ranked choice voting. But, you know, when I started doing more research to the the Center for Election Science, I, I came across the concept of approval voting. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, well, this is, this is interesting, but I... I I guess my question to start off was um, when you look at approval voting, right, versus ranked choice voting, ranked choice voting, you get to kind of uh, really weight your vote um, based on your preferences, whereas approval voting, it's just, you know, check check the boxes of people who, you know, you would be okay with being, you know, your elected official. So what would you say are the pros and cons of approval voting relative to ranked choice voting? Um, and then I guess the, the pros and cons of approval voting versus the, the traditional system we have in place today.
1: Yeah, so uh, in terms of what approval voting does relative to ranked choice voting, uh, there's a practicality component, and then there's also a performance component. With approval voting, it's one of those shovel-ready interventions. Uh, Ranked choice voting, uh, uh, it can cost – for instance, like we're looking at a campaign next year in St. Louis, and one of the big factors for them going with approval voting over ranked choice voting was just a practicality issue. It would have cost the city of St. Louis millions of dollars to upgrade and revamp their voting machines, whereas with approval voting, you don't have any of those costs. Uh, any dumb voting machine can handle approval voting when you just pick as many as you want rather than have the voter indicate their ranking preferences and mm. then using that data to simulate sequential runoffs. Um, there's, you don't have to have all the ballot data centralized, uh, which makes it a lot easier in terms of uh, being able to tabulate the information and you don't have to worry about chain of custody issues and, and moving all the ballot data to the central location. Also, uh, the ballot is a lot easier with approval voting, uh, even when you have a longer candidate list. So say right now we're looking at the primaries; we've got over 20 candidates uh, at at its, higher, at its highest point. You can only imagine trying to rank over 20 candidates, whereas with approval voting, uh, so you're looking at it, maybe there were only five or six that you like out of the 20 something candidates, you can just approve those uh, five or six, and you're able to um, decide like what the threshold is for you versus for when you approve of a candidate versus when you don't approve of a candidate. So it's uh, simplicity and practicality is a big perk out of approval voting.
0: Gotcha. Well, and now, it? I was gonna say really quick, now I do have a question to that because um, so my background's in political science, and one of the things... Um, not only in political science, but also in in economics and you know typical game theory is the idea of strategic voting. Um, so I guess one of the, the questions and, and one of the maybe possible roadblocks that instantly pops into my mind is if someone is from the traditional two party system, you know you had your, your your staunch Republican and your staunch Democrat, and they go to an approval voting system, I, I in a strategic voting mindset, I could easily see it rationalized of. Only vote for the one person on the, the the ticket that would be the front runner for our party. Um, so I guess with that in mind, that would kind of push away the alternatives, and then you'd still have a system where the 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 you know traditional Democrats and Republicans are still casting one vote for their guy or their girl, and in the you know the third party uh, spheres, you have people who are you know still wanting to to get their people votes, but they just can't get enough people to vote for them because there's been this you know this I guess, really from top down uh, declaration saying do not vote for the the other people. So what's the the means that approval voting has kind of, I guess, tackled that that concern that I might have?
1: Sure. So, I mean, the parties can always say whatever they want in terms of trying to get voters to vote for a way that maximizes their own party's interests, But voters are going to vote for the way that maximizes their own interest. So if you're Voting and say you're registered under one of the major parties, um, but uh, the party itself, maybe they are neglecting a particular issue that you care about, and there's an independent or a third party running. Well, if there's an independent or third party running and you really like their ideas, and your party that you're affiliated with, um, they're telling you to vote for only them, but they're neglecting the idea that you care about, well, it's in your interest as a voter to vote for that third party or independent and support them to make sure that their idea is heard. Maybe the uh, major party that you like co-ops their idea over time, uh, but there's no way to uh, incentivize or persuade that major party or even get the idea from that third party or independent candidate that you like to, to push forward unless you're able to support them. And so because of that, under approval voting, when you can pick as many as you want, it really makes sense at the individual level to support that third party or independent candidate to make sure their ideas are heard. And you can also, if you want to make sure you have a, a say in the, uh, in the end game for this election, you can support your major party candidate as well. Um, so it, it only makes sense to do that. And if there's, say, a really tight race with an independent who's maybe more of a, of a moderate between the two major parties, well, if you don't want that other party to win that you really don't like, It makes sense for you to hedge your bets uh, with that more consensus candidate uh, to hedge against that other more polarizing uh, candidate from the other party. Because if you don't do that and this is a tight race, well, you risk a really bad outcome.
0: Gotcha. So I guess when, when you're looking at something like a ranked choice voting, right? Um, you know, the reason I was supporting a ranked choice voting because it's because you could prioritize the, the, the ranking of the, the candidates based on how closely number one, they match. Your political views, um, but also number two, you can you can take into consideration their political affiliation. Um, so you can rank the Republican number one, Libertarian number two, Democrat number three, or or Libertarian one, Republican number two, Democrat number three, whatever it may be. Um, so I guess in in comparing the ranked choice voting system that I've kind of been pushing for and advocating versus a an approval voting system, is it a matter of the convenience from a a strictly you know, uh, you know voting machine or just the feasibility of it? Um, that Lead you to lean more towards approval voting, or is it? Do you see something that there's a fundamental flaw with a ranked choice voting system that maybe I didn't catch on to to notice, and that I, I maybe I'm missing a little bit?
1: Yeah, I would I would say both. There's both a the practicality component and a performance component. And like uh, a lot of people, uh, when I uh, looked into voting methods early on, uh, I was also uh, kind of enamored by the expressiveness of ranked choice voting and the idea of a runoff that's automatically simulated was appealing. Um, But a lot of uh, anomalies can occur through that process of simulating these sequential runoffs. Um, And also vote splitting can also come into play in a way that maybe we don't think about often. Uh, So like imagine a candidate, uh, a nice candidate in the middle um, of of the electorate where we would say, okay, well, this candidate seems to appeal to the broadest base of people. Well, if you put a candidate to the left and to the right of that person, if we're just, say, doing a choose one election when there's a runoff, well, that candidate in the middle can have the vote split on either side. And so they can have the fewest uh, votes and not make it to the runoff. So we can look at that and say, okay, well, that's just a traditional runoff. What if we use insert runoff voting in that circumstance? Well, if we're using instant runoff voting and we have this candidate in the middle and it can and candidates to either side of them, we we don't just have vote splitting in the traditional way, we have vote splitting through first choice preferences. And so that candidate in the middle, because they have the vote split on either side, can get eliminated first and not make it to the next round, even though they're clearly the best candidate. So that's that's one election. You that's so that's one example. You can have vote splitting in Ranked choice voting in a way that we don't normally think about. Uh, but there are some other issues too, uh, which we can talk about, which, uh, for instance, uh, it doesn't always make sense for you to rank your honest favorite as first, which can have issues with uh, people being able to express their honest favorite. And even when they do, it can actually lead to a worse outcome for them.
0: Can, can you uh, maybe expound upon how it could be a worse outcome from them from a, a ranked cho- uh, choice voting perspective versus
1: an approval voting? Sure, sure. So uh, there was an example of an election in Burlington, Vermont, uh, which happened in 2009. That was a, a three-way race. You had a progressive candidate, and keeping in mind Burlington is pretty far on the left, uh, you had a progressive candidate, uh, a Democrat candidate, and a Republican candidate. And conservatives within Burlington were told that they could always rank their honest favorite as first, and so that's actually what they did. So you had 40 percent of uh, the electorate uh, supporting the Republican candidate and ranking the Republican as first. And what happened was the Democrat candidate got eliminated, and those vote, enough of those votes transferred over to the progressive candidate, so that the progressive won. And so there, uh, what's interesting is that had those conservative voters, instead of ranking the Republican as first, had they ranked the Democrat as first, they would have gotten a better outcome because there's, um, because then the Republican would have been eliminated first and those votes would have transferred over to the Democrat. Now, the Democrat is maybe not the uh, something for the conservative voters to celebrate too heavily over, but it's better for them than the uh, progressive candidate winning. Also interesting in that election is that um, using that ballot data from the rankings, the Democrat candidate would have been able to beat both the Republican candidate one-on-one and the Democrat candidate would have also been able to beat the progressive candidate one-on-one.
0: So I guess hmm, – that's interesting. So I guess maybe my perception of what I would like to see in a ranked choice voting system actually you know, played out was – different than what it actually has kind of gone into, into, into practice. So in my world, I was thinking ranked chase voting as being, um, you know, you, you rank your, your first, second, third candidates. And then, you know, with that, there's like a, a quote unquote points uh, allotted to it. Um, I, and I guess in my mind, you don't have to go to the runoff and you don't have to have, uh, you know, the, the 50 plus one uh, majority, you can get a plurality of votes. Um, is, is that kind of, am I'm missing the, the, I guess how it's actually being done in practice versus like the way I was thinking it could be done.
1: So when you're talking about points, there is a, so there's an entire class of voting methods called ordinal methods that involve ranking. Uh, When uh, unfortunately, like there's, there's this one voting method called instant runoff voting that's been rebranded recently and has been given the name ranked choice voting. So when we're talking about ranked choice voting, we're talking about, a particular uh, ranking voting method that uses those rankings to simulate sequential runoffs, where that's done by looking at the candidate who has the most uh, first choice votes. If that's more than half of first choice votes, then you have a winner. If not, you look at the candidate with Mm. the fewest first choice votes, that candidate is eliminated, and their next choice preference is uh, transferred over to that other candidate, and then you keep doing that until you have a candidate with more than half of first-choice votes. Now, there are other ranking methods. One that involves point values is a method called board account. Uh, so there, like uh, if there were multiple candidates running, you rank the candidate first. That, can- that um, ranking for that candidate might be scored as four points. Then the candidate you rank as second is ranked as gets three points that's border count which is another ranking method How, how's that pronounced i missed that usually, is it board, border count uh border Borda. b-o-r-d-a okay border gotcha yeah so no nobody in the u.s for government elections uses border count so uh, they just use a uh, uh, rank choice voting also termed as in certain amount of voting.
0: See, now board account voting sounds like that. Okay, I didn't know that was the case. So I, I guess I have to go back and every time I've been on the show and I've said ranked choice voting, I actually need to revise it and say board account because board account makes sense. I mean, to, to be able to weight your vote for each individual person and essentially allot them a point system, just it, by rationality saint, uh, sense, that makes you know complete logical uh, sense in how you'd want to approach voting. We do that pretty much in our daily... You know, lives and we're going out and we're, you know, making our, our marketplace purchase, you know, I'm, I'm going to allow a point, if you will, to shopping at, you know, Amazon versus Walmart and Walmart versus Target. And I, I can prioritize which one I, I like more than the other and, you know, put them in order of preference. So I go to Amazon, it doesn't have what I want. I can go to, you know, Walmart next and then Target. So I guess why <laughs> this this might be a little uh, <laughs> point of a question. Why not go towards something like a board account um, method of voting versus, the approval voting that you, you've kind of been pushing at the Center for Election Science? Uh,
1: so uh, there, there's still the practicality issue. That can come into play, although not to the same degree as it does with uh, ranked choice voting or incident runoff voting. Um, board account does have some uh, susceptibility to tactics. Uh, so uh, you uh, are also incentivized to, not necessarily to rank your honest favorite as first. Uh, in not quite as a complicated way as with ranked choice voting, uh, but that can come up in board account. And the uh, tactics can affect board account in a way that it performs significantly worse when tactics are involved, whereas, like say, all, all voting methods are susceptible to tactics, but it can depend, it, but voting methods can vary in how robust they are in terms of their performance when tactics are in play. Uh, board account tends to suffer a bit more and performance when tactics are in play.
0: Gotcha. Um. And, and now now for folks who have gotten through the first 17 minutes of this podcast, yes, it was very heavy in, in you know, very theoretical voting approaches. And that's important because, that you know, we're kind of in a situation right now in America where people are kind of getting tired of this traditional, you know, you check your box, you walk out of the polling booth, and then you watch a Democrat or Republican get elected again. So we're trying to find a different method to actually incentivize people to, to vote their conscience, number one. But number two, to open up the playing field for third party candidates and in particular people, you know, who tend to be more in the libertarian camp, because I mean, I think it's not uh too out there to say that most Americans are libertarian in practice. They just don't realize it. I mean, you know, everybody wants to be left alone. You know, don't hurt people, don't take people's stuff. I mean, that's pretty straightforward and, and nothing really too confusing there. So I guess let's let's kind of segue here, if you will, um, Aaron, to to the question I have. What are some successes that you've already accomplished over at the Center for Election Science in implementing this approval voting system? I know you, when we talked beforehand, you did mention Fargo, North Dakota. So let's let's kind of start there and then we can uh, you know, go
1: forward. Sure. Yeah. So Fargo, North Dakota has been pretty exciting. So in 2015, they had an interesting race for one of their commissioner seats. And it was like a five or six way race. And the winner won with 22 percent of the vote. So it was pretty embarrassing for the commission to have that kind of election. Even more embarrassing was that it wasn't like a one-off. This is something that happened before, and it would actually happen in the subsequent election. And so the commission, being all embarrassed from their election, decided to create a task force. The uh, task force had the duty of figuring out uh, better voting methods so this kind of thing wouldn't happen again. And one of the people from the task force Guy from by the name of uh, Jed Lemke had uh, come out and reached out to us, had learned about our work, learned about our approval voting, and said, Hey, I think this would be good for our city. And we agreed. We thought it would be a good fit for Fargo. So Jed went back, convinced other people in the task force that it was a good idea. Task force got on board and then recommended it to the commission uh, that they use approval voting. And uh, you might guess like what the uh, commission. Uh, Responded when the task force uh, recommended the voting method. Uh, uh, So what actually happened was the uh, uh, the commission ignored the task force uh, for like a year, which is uh, really baffling. And so uh, Jed went and took it on his own to get a bunch of people together and gathered a bunch of signatures and put it on the ballot because this, uh, uh, the commission wasn't going to do anything about it. And it's worth uh, noting that one of the people on the commission who ignored the task force that they created to do the job that they actually did was the same person who won in that 2015 election huh. with 22% of the vote. Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So worth, worth pointing out. Uh, and uh, so uh, the uh, group that Jed had uh, coordinated together, it's a group called Reform Fargo. Uh, they worked with us during the campaign. And they uh got the ballot initiative on the on the ballot and uh they were able to pass it with sixty three and a half percent and Fargo, North Dakota became the first city ever in the United States to implement approval voting. And that was last year.
0: Which is awesome. And uh you, you mentioned also beforehand that you you're having a lot more success with approval voting kind of spreading out you know, beyond the confines of Fargo, North Dakota. Um, so maybe we can talk about some of the uh, the successes you're working on right now in actually implementing approval voting uh, across the, the United States.
1: Yeah. So uh, the, the idea here is like there's a voting method that hasn't been used for government elections before to get someone elected in the government office. And so you have to share this proof of concept and then you have to replicate and scale. So Fargo is a population of 120,000 people. So for that replication and scaling part, we have to move up. And so next up, uh, we are working on a campaign right now for a ballot initiative that will take place mid next year. And that's in the city of St. Louis and that's over 300,000 people. Just a, uh, so just a little bit bigger. Just a little bit bigger. And so we've got a group there, uh, St. Louis approves that we're working with now.
0: Awesome. So I guess let, let's kind of, um, cause we're getting towards the, uh, the end of the show, surprisingly, but, um, I guess if you could kind of outline what this has in terms of ramifications for not only libertarians, because obviously libertarians are more of the people who listen to the show, um, but maybe to to disenfranchise conservatives or um, you know classical liberals or even people on the left, people who are more in the progressive camp, uh, maybe not as rabid as the Democrats have become recently, maybe they're more moderate. What does this have as a ramification for them going forward into their elections, not only in primaries, but also towards the general election?
1: Yeah, so it does a couple of things. I mean, overall, the government uh, would be stronger because you have a more consensus-style candidate that's able to win. So right now we get this pendulum that swings wildly back and forth from election to election. You don't get any kind of continuity with that. You can't plan anything from administration to administration. And I'm not just talking about the national level, but at the local level too. Many more elections obviously happen at the local level, so we need that continuity in government. And approval voting with the type of winner that elects can push forward with that continuity. The other thing is, like particularly, uh, I think uh, libertarians are more familiar with the idea of a competitive marketplace. And right now, in terms of elections, we do not have a competitive marketplace. We have a voting method that pushes out and marginalizes new ideas, which is an, an atrocity, and it causes all kinds of subsequent uh Act- actions like uh, very stringent about access laws that further entrench uh, ideas that are already in place, protecting uh, us from uh, being able to explore new ideas. And that's just awful. I mean, we, we, we want a very free marketplace when it comes to politics. And approval voting delivers there. So with approval voting, you can always support your honest favorite. And because the voting method is so simple, you're just Uh, picking all the candidates you want, and the candidate with the most votes wins, it's very easy to see the reflection of support that third-party and independent candidates get. And looking at polling data uh, over uh, a number of different elections that use approval voting, we see that third parties and independents do substantially better under approval voting. So in 2016, when we did a poll looking at Gary – that included Gary Johnson – under the current choose one method, he got three percent, which was easy to him easy it was easy to marginalize him because he got three percent but under approval voting, he got twenty one percent That's a huge difference, and it's differences like that that allow new ideas to come into play, and approval voting can allow that. but when you're using this current choose one voting method, it allows candidates to become virtually invisible even when they have support the current choose one method that we have now just does not reflect that support and it does not allow it to grow and that's a completely different world that we could enter with approval voting allowing that barrier to entry to to, to drop and allow these new ideas to appear
0: so do you see the the major two parties getting on board from a primaries perspective because I mean obviously with with the primaries it's it's dependent on how that particular political party, especially when it goes into a, the individual state, how they want to run their, their primary, whether it's an open primary, closed primary, what have you. Um, do you see that they'll be you know more open to an approval voting system when they're actually trying to pick their candidate? Or do you kind of see maybe the, the primary system in general just dying out as it becomes less relevant when you have such a, a massive group of, of candidates where, you know, if you ran for the Democratic primary and you lost and you're like, well, screw it, I'm going to run as, you know, the uh the Bernie Sanders light candidate party and and then they can run in the general as that that you know that uh i guess self-identified political party do you, do you kind of see that you know in one way or another you know, either transforming the part, the primary system or the 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 two parties adopting this approval voting system for their primaries uh
1: at the at the national level they take kind of a wonky approach with the way that they they do primaries but this is uh using something like approval voting is something that would actually be beneficial to the parties themselves. Um, I don't know that it's something that they have uh, come to to look at yet or to realize yet. But, I mean, you look at the Republican Party, they were, I mean, clearly not excited about the uh, nominee that they put forward. Uh, he was able to win uh, for the party, but they were clearly not excited about that. There was also a lot of infighting with the Democratic Party as, as well. Um, And so this is something that could give that uh, consensus-type candidate and not give us these more extreme nominees, and also being able to give an accurate reflection for all the other candidates that are running. Uh, Because right now, when we're using this choose-one voting method, there's all kinds of vote splitting, and we're seeing candidates even in this election uh, that we're seeing coming up for for 2020, uh, we're still seeing a lot of vote splitting, and some candidates with new ideas are just like getting this tiny fraction of, of support. And that's being used as a way to push them even further down, so having approval voting in the in the primaries is something that is good for also like like we just talked about before, having that um uh that marketplace of new ideas being able to thrive, but it's also good for the parties themselves because they get that nice consensus candidate instead of someone that's a bit more extreme that uh maybe leaders within the party aren't comfortable with uh uh, with someone that perhaps doesn't represent their party the way that they would wish.
0: So what you're saying is, is that approval voting could basically be the libertarian or third party Trojan horse to take down the two party system. And they wouldn't even realize it happened.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it would allow, uh, the libertarians themselves, uh, could use this to nominate better candidates. Um, but (laughs) hint, hint, uh, hint, which which they should do. Uh, they, they should do that. Um, uh, but uh, but also um, being able to implement approval voting uh, in cities, for instance, is a way for uh, third parties, including the Libertarian Party, which being the third largest party, they would stand to benefit the most, which is also ref- reflected in the polling that we just did. So uh, this is certainly something that third parties can jump on board on just to make sure that they're getting the uh, the accurate reflection of support that they deserve.
0: Well, Aaron, you you, you you came on the show and you, you held up to uh, the uh, the tagline of the Center for Election Science, and that is, uh, we make democracy smarter. Right? And that's honestly what we needed. Um, we need people to be smart about what they're voting for and and giving us a, a solution to really fix this broken election system we have right now, the, the two-party system. So I want folks to, number one, go ahead and support the uh, the Center for Election Science, but I also want them to be able to find you online. So I guess where can folks go ahead and, uh, number one, find the Center for Election Science on, online but also on social media? But hey, if they want to get involved and get more involved with what you're doing over there individually, where can they go ahead and find you?
1: Absolutely. You can reach us at electionscience.org. Uh, Just type that into your browser, electionscience.org. You'll go right to our website. Uh, We have a nice take action, uh, call to action right on our homepage. Uh, That'll get you signed up for our newsletter. And then uh, we're really easy to find across different uh, social media platforms. Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, We're on all of them.
0: And I'll be sure to include all the links to uh, to those in here in the show notes, because I, I I try to make sure my show notes are are as pristine as possible so folks can easily find uh, where I have my guests and their organizations. So uh, and really quick, you know, Aaron, I, I realized we didn't really get to cover too much of, of your background. So if you could really quickly, kind of what led you to, to really be the co-founder for the Center for Election Science and, and do what you're doing today? Uh,
1: well, when I was in graduate school, I was kind of... Uh, disgruntled by a number of my colleagues voting against their interest, and so I had to kind of step back and think, well, what's either there's something going on with all my friends, or there's some other issue going on, and so uh, that was around the time where I started to look at different voting methods. Uh, At the time, I was uh, working on my second graduate degree, and then going into uh, law school after I finished that, I uh, was in this nonprofit incorporation project at my law school, where I learned to set up nonprofits, and I was already involved within an online group that had uh, taken up this cause. And so, at that uh, by that point, I was able to build the skills necessary to set up the organization. And so uh, that's when I joined the the founding board, and we moved along from there, and I uh, uh, was eventually able to move into the executive director spot. And at the end of 2017, we received our first grant uh, from the open philanthropy project. And within less than a year after that, we were able to make Fargo, North Dakota happen <laughs> less than a year after our initial funding.
0: That's cool. And you know what? Right there. And that's a great way to end the show because you're doing exactly what I encourage people on my show to do. And that's if you see a problem or you see something that you can bring your talents to the table and and hopefully, you know offer a unique or, you know, very productive solution or alternative, you got to do it like it, that. That's so important for us as a society to actually take part in, in you know, hopefully planning how our society is going to move forward. And sometimes that's thinking outside the box, and and quite literally, that's what you're doing here with the the uh, the approval voting system uh, that you're advocating for at the uh, the Center for Election Science. So, I, I mean, I cannot thank you enough, Aaron, for of all the hard your work you're doing over there. Um, so, I mean, with that, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Any last words or, or parting thoughts of wisdom to my uh, my audience?
1: Uh, I would encourage everyone to go to our website at electionscience.org. Uh, we're a five hundred one c three. It's tax deductible, so it's a great cause for donation. <laughs> and as, uh, as we just uh, ex- uh, uh, relayed, uh, we made our first uh, victory within less than a year after our initial grant, so you know we're really efficient with things and we uh, deliver on outcomes
0: libertarians tend to be very efficient in the the marketplace of ideas so uh hey more, more power to you and, and again aaron thank you for all you're doing over the the uh, center for election science and and folks if you find today's episode to be valuable and you think hey there are some people that i know within the, the greater two-party system who can learn a thing or two please share today's episode with them um uh, and i'm again i'm challenging you find three of your friends democrats republicans i don't care send them the episode directly and say listen this is a very important episode give it a listen number one number two Please swing over to I think it's been rebranded as Apple Podcasts now. I don't know. I don't really use Apple too much, but go over there and find the show, Brian Nichols Show, and give us a five star rating uh, and write us a review. A nice review. That is what moves up the uh, the Brian Nichols Show in the rankings, so people can find the show more easily. Um, and hey, if you enjoyed the show and you want to find more of me, which I mean, come on, it's me. Go ahead and find me on social media, Twitter and on Facebook, guys. I'm not that serious. Uh, find me on social media at B Nichols Liberty, both on Facebook and on Twitter. I've been doing a lot of fun memes over on Facebook recently, and of course my sass over on twitter um and folks if you want to be one of the uh, the great brian Nichols show uh supporting listener groups please go over to our patreon that is is again how we keep the lights on here um or if it's easier that one-time paypal donation click the link in the show notes i'll bring you right to that paypal donation page i know that can be easier for some folks honestly every little bit helps so with that folks thank you so much for joining us on another yes fun filled episode of the brian Nichols show and signing off for aaron hamlin of the center for election science we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at bryannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life. Raise your hand if you've heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual Science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Trader Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates, follow the science on Lockdowns in Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the liberty movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.